This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. What is Chalkboard Chat? It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from chalkboardchat.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Good morning, Malcolm White. Carol is away, but we have the Lebanese breeze, Joe Sherman, in the house. And it's his birthday, so we'll get to that later. Joe and I will be your guides today. On our show, we're going to talk to our great friend Elaine Trigiani, who's home from Italy. We're going to talk about olive oil, cooking one dish, and all things Italian food. And it's Mardi Gras season. We're going to talk about king cakes, the Jackson staple at Broad Street Bakery, with Jeff Good and Katie Leach. We're going to talk about anything else we want to. It's Mardi Gras Day on February 21, and today is Valentine's. Well, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and it's Joe Sherman's birthday. Happy birthday, Joe! Thank you, thank you. It's, uh, it's, great, it's great being uh, marinated. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming in, and Carol's away, and you're here, and that's good. We always appreciate your... Love, love sitting in. It's a, it's, you're a third fun, wheel. it's a very fun experience, i got to tell you. Right. You never know what you're going to get. Never, never, ever, ever. But happy birthday. Thank you. I appreciate it. <clears throat> also in the studio, Elaine Trigiani. Hello, Elaine. How are you good this morning. morning? You've come a long way That's to be right. on our show. I did. I came a very long way. It's good to be here. Yes. We're going to talk to Elaine uh, throughout the show about uh, olive oil and her endeavor. Uh, she has a relatively new line of olive oil that uh, she grows, produces, and exports. Is that a good way to True. put it? Mm-hmm. It is good. Joe's, <laughs> and Joe and I have, have, have some. That's right. We sure do. So we're excited about that. Also on our show uh, today, we've got uh, Jeff Good and uh, Katie Leach from uh, Broad Street Bakery, and they're going to talk about king cakes and the Mardi Gras and that uh, business. Joe, you know a little bit about the king cake business. You're in the bakery business. Well, I'm, I'm a donut guy. Donut we guy. Don't have, I tried to get my uh, bakers to do king cake donuts and um, didn't quite come out what I thought. Okay. It, but, you know, nonetheless, like today, tomorrow, today and tomorrow in the Dunkin' Donuts donut business, mm. the heart-shaped donut is a big deal. Imagine that. And we sell, it's the second largest donut day of the year next to National Donut Day, which is the first Friday in June. So you think people uh, widespread know about National Donut Day? How do they know about this? They Elaine, did you know about a National Donut Day? No, June no, it's a, on Instagram, Malcolm. Oh, well, it's see. the first, like the first Friday of every of, of, of June. So, you know, it's a big day. But today is the second largest uh, donut day. And last night on the Super Bowl, Dunkin' Donuts uh, launched their um, inaugural ad and their partnership with J Lo and Ben Affleck. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Ben Affleck uh-huh. was working at the drive-thru, and J-Lo came through yes, the drive-thru at the end that. and said, what are you doing here? And he said, I was there. And she said, oh, don't forget the so glaze. The, <laughs> don't forget the glaze. That, and she said, oh, so you call this work? This is what you <laughs> do right, all day? That's right. So anyway, that's kind of the new the new stick for the Dunkin' Donuts people. Very cool. Elaine, uh, it, are there Dunkin' Donuts in Italy? There are not Dunkin' Donuts. What about? Uh, there are donuts, though. <laughs> what about Valentine's Day? And there's Valentine's Day. Uh-huh. Celebrated the same in fact, it, yeah, quite similar. Do you 
flowers, presents, okay. out to supper. So what's the number one Valentine? What will m- most of the people spend as their Valentine's gift? 57% will buy candy. 57%. They're going to okay. spend $26 billion on Valentine's Day in 2023. What about flowers? Flowers is 37%. Oh, what I else? Have, I would have guessed opposite numbers. Cards, 40%. Uh, mm. An evening out, 32%. That's good for the restaurant 21%. Mm-hmm. But the place where the money is increasing, the expenditure is increasing, is for pets, friends, children, teachers, and coworkers. That's where they're spending. Everything else is, is loved ones and a significant others yeah. is flat with last year. So we're expanding the market on your, your pet, Valentine? Exactly, no doubt about it. So if you've got one, you need to get one. Okay, great. You know, um, there is this talk about it being one of the busiest restaurants days. Jeff Good could tell us about that when he gets here, but I can imagine that it's got to be in the top three or four Oh, no doubt. I restaurant. Mean, you didn't bring any data on that. I did you? not bring any data on that, uh, but I'm sure it is because you can only turn the table so many times. Right. I mean, you know, and people at their romantic dinner out on Valentine's Day, they want to linger, you yeah. know, hang out. So I guess it's kind of like uh, New Year's Eve in bars, you know, Mm-hmm. Valentine's Day on for restaurants has got to be. I, I wouldn't call it Rookie Day. That's but people who don't go out all right. often will go out on that I occasion. I agree, hundred percent. Java, how are you this morning? I'm doing fine. I was just going to add that. Um, um, uh, I saw on. Oh man, I forget the website. But as the most romantic um, uh, restaurant in Mississippi, uh, they chose Walkers. Ah, uh, well. Or maybe it was the most romantic in Jackson, but Walker's was at the top of that list. I wanted to see how y'all felt about that. Joe, how do you feel about that? Well, it's a great restaurant. I'm, it's and it's the it's not very large, so that might very small, add very to intimate ambiance mm-hmm. of uh, of exactly. the dinner. You know, that's what and I it's think. iconic in very, its architecture. Very, it's old exactly. school, very yeah. old Jackson, and it's you know it, it's booked quite frequently if not all the time so you know it's, it's a good thing to get on a list it, it's special it's, it's really special, good it's too. very special elaine your thoughts on walkers i agree with the intimate interior mm-hmm. i think that's why it's the it can be the most romantic yeah so java you and i uh, just got back from a road trip you want to tell our listeners about this experience that we just had yeah, we went to um, uh, a great experience with uh, Chef Peacock. Um, uh, he calls it the biscuit experience. Uh, we're gonna talk more about it when uh, when Carol gets back. But I can say that we are now officially um, biscuitiers. That's right. We, <laughs> we like are biscuitier. Yeah, <laughs> okay. we're biscuitiers. Okay. Biscuitiers. So we're in a very exclusive club, as we are told. Yeah, and one thing I will say that he did uh, issue a lot of history about where we were, Marion, Alabama. Um, one thing that I found super interesting, and I had no idea, uh, the hometown of Coretta Scott King. Right. You know, wife of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Andrew Young? No, yeah. Andrew Young's wife. Yeah, Andrew Young's wife. Um, I want to say uh, Cindy Ayers was her maiden, you know, maiden name before uh-huh. she became young uh, but yeah that was it was very interesting so perry county uh alabama is important absolutely in more than one way and as you say when carol returns we will delve deeper into that experience you you got a lot of good uh, audio and i hope that we'll have a full show 
featuring Scott Peacock uh, and his biscuit, biscuit experience. That, there's, some, uh, there's some great pictures on the cooking and coping site. Some good. great photos. And look, I, Mary Pryor and I were going to go, going to go but we had athletic uh, grandchildren, athletic events kind of superseded that. But I was the recipient of a gift from our friend Thomas Williams. He sent me a Lodge Blacklock skillet. Because it's your pan. birthday. Because it's my birthday. And the thing about this black uh, black lock from Lodge is it's, it's lighter than the regular Lodge, and the handle doesn't get hot as fast. So it's triple season. So, you know. Triple season. And, they, and I, yeah, I used to remember we go to the store and you see gray-looking uh, cast iron skillets, and somebody would say, well, how come Mama's is black and that one's gray? I said, well, that one hadn't been seasoned yet. But right. now Lodge seasons everything. So it's it a pretty good deal. Huh? Do it yourself seasoning. That's right. That's right. Well, I think you need to try some cornbread in there. I think I will. Some with olive oil. Your also, grand, I, why I, not? I have the recipe right here, right in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> do you use uh, black skillets, Elaine, to cook? I do sometimes. Mm-hmm. I do. Uh, is that a, in Italy? Do, are these very popular? No, 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 no. I uh-huh. brought my own. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Imported directly from Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's a, sort of a rare thing over there. It is rare. What do they use? What is a, an analogy for our black skillet in the South to what Italians use to Actually, cook with? There, this is not something that's present necessarily in every kitchen, but there are, um, there are cast iron kind of utensils that are used in fireplaces. So mm-hmm. you actually heat it up with fire and then you make various breads in there, like sort of little kind of little concave um, cast iron units. They're called, I think they're called testaroli. Interesting. Interesting. It's like a little crepe made in the fireplace. Mm -hmm. So, Joe, have you cooked anything interesting lately? I know uh, you and Mary Pryor do a lot of home cooking. We did uh, some fajitas this week, which were pretty good. You know, you don't have to. You can kind of cheat a little bit. We used a rotisserie chicken from one of the oh, clubs. I see. And I used uh, Rick Bayless's Frontera Grill uh, uh, fajita mix. Mix, it's, yeah. It's yeah, a yeah. liquid. It's really great. So you, you just saute the onions and the peppers. You throw in the chicken. Then you heat up the sauce, throw it in there, and you're ready to go. And then Mary Pryor's been uh, experimenting, or not experimenting. She's actually just really, really good. And go, been making the old-school sausage stroganoff. Oh. And it's never heard of that. You've never heard of it. It's excellent. It's onions, obviously, mushrooms, sauteed, sausage, uh, browned, mixed together with some uh, milk, cream cheese, and sour cream. Wow. It's excellent. It's, I mean, it doesn't have any calories in it whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, not one calorie, I'm telling you. About wow. a thousand calories, not one, <laughs> not just one. So, Elaine, you're still, I'm asking, are, are you still doing your uh, culinary trips and doing your guiding and cooking for, for folks? Yes, I am. I'm concentrating mostly on group trips. So we're doing group trips to Tuscany. We have a group trip to Sicily, which we're doing this spring. It's actually sold out. We're planning a, We're planning next year's version. We're going to Puglia. So we're doing culinary tours through different um, regions of Italy with small groups, 12 people. Is it easier with small, I mean, 12 people than the two people? Like moi, <laughs> it's just as fun. It's just as fun. Okay. We like to, we don't we don't go over twelve because it, it starts to lose its charm. Okay, okay, just checking. 
And and so you're also, of course, focused on your new olive oil venture. I am. You want to sort of explain that to what what that is to our listeners? So I started my own company. I've been making olive oil together with um, another company, and I've kind of branched out on my own as of last year. So I have a new olive oil label. It's called Olio della Donna. And I make olive oil in Tuscany and also in Sicily. Um, the flavor profiles of the olive oils are very, very different. So I've kind of wanted to, to offer both of those uh, flavor profiles. Olive oil is not um, one size fits all. And the way you match your wines to food, you also match olive oils to food. Mm-hmm. So that's why I decided to do oils from two different regions. So, And I have contacts in both regions and um, people that I work with so I can kind of follow farming in, in both spots and milling and et cetera. So, so on, your, on your Zoom class last Sunday, it was last Sunday, mm-hmm. right? The, mm-hmm. the lady that was in your kitchen with you, I was interesting. She was talking about, she was tasting the, I can't remember which one she was tasting, but the words she used were, it's dancing around in my mouth. Right. <laughs> and I guess that mean it, I guess she meant it really didn't have a distinct flavor or no, the, just was- the opposite. I think she was talking about the complexity. That was Luann O'Laughlin. She's one of my importers. Okay. She has a shop called Oleo To Go, and she imports our me. olive oil. Um, she was, I think she was talking about the complexity in that it wasn't just doing one thing in okay. your mouth. Okay. It was doing more than one thing gotcha. in your okay. mouth. I just so. I was just, it was just interesting. It was a great class. you know. Yeah. And, you know, I, I use this a lot. So forgive me. But, you know, there used to be this series of advertising for Popeye's Chicken. And the great Dr. John was was the voice in the music. And he always used to say, there's a potty in my mouth. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what, right, exactly. what, so. what your friend was saying. And, and it's dancing. <laughs> Maybe she said it was dancing in my mouth. Deep South Dining, a show exclusively heard on MPB Think Radio, Joe, and nowhere else. Nowhere else. However, Unique. it is live as we speak. It is rebroadcast on Sundays at 9 a.m. And Java, it can be podcast most any time. Am I right? Oh, yeah. You can get all of our episodes right now. The best way is to download the MPB public media app, Mississippi Public Broadcasting, basically in your pocket. All right. Well, Mardi Gras is upon us. I believe Mardi Gras Day is February 21, but uh, we are getting ever closer, and king cakes have broken out everywhere. (laughs) And we have in the studio (laughs) the king of of Jackson's king cakes. We've got uh, Jeff Good and Katie Leach here to talk about Broad Street Bakery and the king cake. Welcome, folks. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. It's exciting yeah. to be here. The king of king cakes, Katie. That's right. <laughs> I'm the king. You're getting a new name tag. There you go. Well, <laughs> well, I call Joe the Lebanese breeze. So <laughs> king of king cakes is not so bad. There Keep it is. that one to yourself. So we have a, we have a sample in yes. front of us. Someone talk to us about that. All right. This is our uh, cinnamon king cake. It's more of a traditional king cake, Mm -hmm. kind of what you're used to when you go down to New Orleans and the Mississippi coast, Mm -hmm. Alabama coast. Um, Our... what we're known for is the almond cream, which right. that's original to us. It's uh, almond paste with mm. cream cheese, and mm. this one is just butter, cinnamon, <laughs> sugar, goodness. I don't know if you're getting any of that. Oh, no, boy. not at all. <laughs> I, I can feel my belt tightening up even as, <laughs> even as I cheat. There's it, goodness man. everywhere. It has absolutely. been an absolute joy to, um, to bring this product to market and to do it in a way that is um, rich, authentic, and uh, and really wholesome. So when Katie mentioned butter, 
this this whole product starts with a brioche dough, and the brioche dough has got a ton of butter in it. And then we use real cream cheese, and we use an almond pastry cream. Um, if we're making the cinnamon, we're using butter in a, to make a cinnamon schmear, so cinnamon and butter. The idea is to, to really have um, a, a high-quality product that really shows through. And oftentimes, I think with the challenge, Katie and I were talking about this this morning, the, the challenge of doing something that's high-end and then being able to address it in a volume standpoint, that has been our challenge over the past, what has it been, 12, 13, 14 years, maybe since we made our first one, 15 years? 15, 14, Yeah, 15? I think so. Yeah. And, and we've had a few pastry chefs. You know, this is, mm-hmm. this is a technical job, and it is, you know, we're in a fairly small market here, right. so to find um, technical um, competence has been a challenge. We've been very, very blessed. And I will say that um, it was really Danny Mitchell, Danny yes. Mitchell Turk that owns For, Evan, For Heaven's Cakes and, and Catering, um, um, a, a company here in town that does catering and, and bakery stuff. Danny was with us for a number of years, uh, both at Bravo and at Broad Street. But when she ran the bakery, she really kind of leaned into this thing about how to do some volume. But it was Jennifer Adelsheimer who changed the game. Yes. Uh, Jennifer came in, and we had had king cakes before, but this recipe, this the way that – you know, like Jeff said, it's very technical and very scientific, baking is. Mm-hmm. And if you have one thing off, it's going to mess everything mm-hmm. up. But what Jennifer added to the equation was this really superior product. Like, I mean, it, it legit, I tell people it's more of a delicacy mm-hmm. than a king cake. Because yeah. most king, when you think king cakes, you, I, before I, tasted this product I, I thought dry yeah. and crumbly store. grocery right. store right yeah. but this is far from that day old cake so we <laughs> biggest yes. year biggest year 5300 I think mm-hmm. uh, in one season uh, this is a shorter season I you know if I had to guess you know I might say we do 3,000 this season uh, it's a lot for I a small 3, place 3600 3600 yeah. well, you know so <laughs> it's it and, and you know what a joy to do what we do and you know, bakery is a place that, in, in restaurants, you, you know this, Malcolm, you know, every day you get up, you make the prep, you cook it, you serve it, you clean it up, you start all over the next day. And with baked goods, they have a one-day life. And so it's it's one of these things that we have to, it's like, you know, the commercial, got to make the donuts, got to make the donuts. But what a joy to have people really get excited about this. And we've had quite a, a following. So yeah. that's our story we're sticking to. So, uh, so <clears throat> excuse me, how, how many do you make a day? And when I mean, and how long does it take? Well, it's a it's a very long process. Um, you know, they have to make the dough and let it rest, and then they come and they punch it mm-hmm. and let it rest some more, and then they do the same thing. And that's just and, anger management, then, right? <laughs> and, you know, it's actually very therapeutic. No, right. I'm just kidding. But uh, can I come help? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, so after that, you know, we have to get the um, measure out the pieces that we're going to turn into sheets to um, actually fill with the filling or the schmear for the cinnamon and then braid them all together and then they have to proof and then they're baked and so I'd say and then they have to cool and then they have to be iced and then boxed and um, folding the boxes takes a lot of time as well. So you're always working a day ahead. Yes. You know, you're doing dough today for tomorrow's bake and mm-hmm. um, when she mentioned the braiding we do three three ropes 
So you've got a, a, a rope of dough, kind of showing you here, and you put a, a schmear, you put the, the cream cheese in between, you roll it into a, a, a tube, mm-hmm. and then you braid it. And um, so it's a, it's a fascinating process. And we have a video that we put on the, the Facebook page, and we recycle it every year that kind of shows it in fast fast motion. It's kind of it's fascinating to see the, the amount we do. But it's, you know, um, it's it's making food. It's what you guys talk about here on Deep South Downing. You know? Do you it's make just, about 200 a day or something like I'd that? I'd say about 100 to 120, okay. depending on the day. Is, it, and yeah. it's all handmade? All yeah. handmade. Yes. Yeah. No machine can uh, The only machine we have is a sheeter. So a sheeter is, is a, 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 instead of using a rolling pen and right. going back and forth, mm-hmm. a sheeter allows you to move a product quickly back and forth, and you have a ratchet. And so every time you pass through, you ratchet it up, and you ratchet it up, and it thins it, thins it, like thins it. Like a pasta maker. It. And that's how, yeah. it, yes, like a pasta maker. And that's also how we make our croissant. And croissant, because of the fact you have to fold butter in, yeah. it's very effective because as soon as we, we sheet it through, we've got to put more butter, fold it over again, run it through again. Because that's how you make the middle fouille, sure. the, the thousand layers, the mm. puff. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the only machine we got other than, than ten digits and two hands. Nothing frozen. No, sir. No. no, sir. Okay. So, Elaine, uh, this braided bread that I guess is sort of the origin of the king cake, uh, is there an example of that uh, in Italy? Or There are braided breads. Not I can't think of any, though, that are um, desserts. And this is excellent. And the handwork in here, the... You can the texture is excellent because of the way they um, are kind of layering the dough up, and you really get that here. And complimenti also for the very pure flavors; it's mm-hmm. excellent. So no, there is no comparison to this that I can think of on the Italian peninsula. It, they're they're missing it. I think we need some king cake. You could be the queen of the king cake. You could, yeah, I could be. We could I have think a we'll parade. Just have to call it we could cake. have a parade. <laughs> queen and king. Of and I'll wear a sash. I, I, of course you will. <laughs> I hate to say it, but we've already co-opted the queen cake uh, uh, name. Yes. We make a cheesecake it's that has a, a king cake yeah. base and really? a cheesecake Ooh. top, and we call it the queen. Cake. Trademark. Our oh. good friend, our good friend Bill Hetrick used to love the queen cake. Oh, man, okay. he loved that. that. Sounds yes, really good. So at some point in time, you know, um, you want to, you got a few moments to talk about history of king cake, where it came from, please. Um, so you know, um, the winter, um, um, the winter solstice is the shortest day of the year, the least amount of light. Pagan society um, would um, celebrate the death of the crop and the rebirth of the crop on that shortest day. And um, uh, Saturn was the, the god of agriculture, and so Saturnalia was was the pagan holiday that happened during the, the uh, late December the 21st. The early Christian church in the 3rd and 4th century, um, in order to, for, to be able to continue to grow the Christian church, you know, a lot of the pagan rituals were folded in and, and brought forth. And so the idea of this... Light from dark to light holiday became Christmas, and it's it celebrates it was tagged to be the birth of of, of Jesus Christ, and the the idea of of Christ's light coming into the world. So the darkest night going into the growing light, and then the whole idea of the twelve days of Christmas. You know, uh, the New Testament tells us that that uh, after the birth of of Christ, twelve days later, the three wise men arrived, and so that twelve days later is January the sixth, which is Epiphany, and Epiphany is the uncovering of the baby Jesus, the the bringing of the light of the world into the world, and so that is a um, the beginning of Carnival season. So then carnival celebration rolls until mardi gras and mardi gras is going to be 40 days before easter so the calendar set you set easter you go back 40 days and you're going to have ash wednesday you're going to have mardi gras the day before and that is the 
festival of 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 um, debauchery. So you know, in the Middle Ages, Fat uh, Tuesday, Fat Tuesday mm-hmm. Mardi Gras. In, in, in the Middle Ages, um, this was a time where uh, common folk were able to run the city for, for a day. <laughs> they would have um, parties and, and dress in fine, uh, you know, in outfits, and they would they would um, they would, ca- they would crown a king or queen uh, for the day uh, from the common folks, and they would be able to be uh, the fool for the day, the, the, the king or queen. How do they choose that? Well, they had a, a cake that had a bean baked into it, and whoever got that bean would be able to be the king yeah. for the day. And uh, out of all that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the outfits, the, the masks, the, the, the garb, the balls, all of that kind of moved into what we know as carnival season with the cruise and everything in New Orleans. And then um, I think that, that um, from there, it, 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 when you take a look at the, the history of that in the, in, in the lens of, of, of current time, it's fascinating to see how history and food intersect because now the king cake represents... Uh, the crown of Jesus, royalty. You've got the three colors, which is purple for justice, uh, gold for um, um, power, and green for faith. And uh, instead of a bean, uh, there's a little baby in there now, and that's supposed to be representing the baby Jesus. And no, no king cake manufacturer puts the baby in the, the cake any longer in the United States because we're afraid somebody's going to gag on it. So we put it on top, and we let you do that. And of course, the idea of the of the baby and the cake is if you ha- take a king cake to a party, whoever gets a slice with a, a baby has to buy the king cake the next time. That's so the host That's party. the history. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. So, Katie, you, how long have you been with Broad Street? Long time? <laughs> Which time? No, I'm just <laughs> Oh, okay. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> just kidding. Um, this time it's been about 14, 13, 14 years. Okay. Um, but I did work here twice. I did work at Broad Street twice before. Um when they first opened, or right after they first opened, I, I worked there for about a year or so, and then uh, left and came back and worked for another year or two. I don't know. Remind it's remind Malcolm time. of your time downtown. Oh, I did. Uh, I worked at the uh, Broad Street Express, which was oh, yeah. in the old Crystal the old building. Crystal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Your, old, your old haunt. And it was the Blue Cafe it was before the Blue that. Cafe, Alan Hart. And it was the I ate the last Crystal Burger served in That's that why building. I wanted her to really? say that. <laughs> Love it. Really? Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about our listeners, uh, a little bit more about Broad Street. I mean, we think everybody knows, but just a little bit about that restaurant and bakery and sure. all the stuff that y'all do there. Well, uh, what I really enjoy and what I think most people enjoy about Broad Street is the fact that everybody that works there puts so much into everything that we produce. Everything is made from scratch, from the breads that we make our sandwiches on and also sell as retail to the (coughs) meats that are hand-sliced every day, um, the hand-cut French fries that we have, the five different types of mayonnaises that we have. Um, Can you name them? Yes. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. We have a um, honey mustard mayonnaise that's really good. What's the core mayonnaise? Is it homemade or is it like Hellman's or Duke's or something like that? You look like you don't want to tell me. We're going to tell you the truth. So we (laughs) take a commercial mayonnaise and then we modify it. So we're not making a mayonnaise from scratch because we just do too much volume. But the garlic mayonnaise is to die for. Really is. That comes on the chicken BLT, which is the the most popular sandwich we have on on focaccia. So mm-hmm. we've we have again from a volume standpoint and and you know kind of survival of the day, we have a very we're blessed to have a very very busy restaurant, and so we have to balance 
production versus um, quality, and we you know we t- try to make those decisions as best we can. Yeah, and um, yeah. So as Jeff said, uh, the, it's a, actually a roasted garlic mayonnaise. Mm. So oh, sometimes you'll walk through the kitchen and you'll smell this really great aroma of roasted garlic, and mm. what they're doing is they're roasting that to put with some red chili flakes into um, mayonnaise to make the roasted garlic mayonnaise. Um, we've got the, like I said, the honey mustard mayonnaise. It's got a Creole mustard base, a um, right. little bit of honey mayonnaise. And then the basil mayonnaise is also really good. It's on our turkey sandwich. It's mm-hmm. mm, so good. It's very fresh and delicious. Um, but as I said, we make everything from scratch. And uh, just even the croissants and the danishes, the pastries that we have, everybody that works there just owns what they produce and that's what makes it so good Uh, i cannot tell you the number of times i'll be sitting with somebody and it's a counter service environment we'll be in front of the case with all the product and somebody look at me say where do you get all these things from and i say we make them and they look at me like i've got horns and and i say no literally we make it do you want to come back and look at this a lot of folks i think have been you know this is what's i I respect about elaine so much and what her 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 lifestyle is what she she purports is you know the return to the ground the return to to wholesomeness we're 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 disconnected from our food and 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 the assumption is tomatoes come from walmart you know that Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what what a lot of folks understand so it's a it's a blessing to do what we do we're breakfast lunch and dinner we start with short order breakfast in the morning we roll into dinner and then uh, lunch and then dinner and we have a very, very strong catering business. Avon Whittington, for 24 years, has been doing our our catering business. And he represents the food from all three of our restaurants. So if you do a party, you know, it could come from Bravo, it could come from Broad Street, it could come from Sal and Mickey's. Briefly, how has your business been impacted lately by both COVID and the water crisis? And you've been sort of a spokesperson for yes. that for us. Thank yeah, you for yes. doing that. Well, that's always glad to. You, you, I've seen your member at the Best of Jackson party a number of years ago. You handed me a baton and said, it's your job now. <laughs> so just took the baton from me, my friend. Um, I'm honored to, to authentically try to represent for our brothers and sisters in the business. Um, and we have a lot of brothers and sisters in this business. Um, you know, COVID, I'm thankful that, that the majority of the issues with that are behind us. I'm, you know, we'll knock wood here and, and hope that, that we're not going to have any, any kind of crazy resurgence here as, as winter finishes up. But um, it knocked us all to our knees, you know, and we had to close all of our restaurants. Some people didn't recover from that. Many of us, thanks to the, the, the work the federal government did and, and um, um, the stimulus and figuring our way through that, we're able to cobble together to bring a team back. We're busy as all get out right now. We've 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 had a record sales year in many many ways. We've had a terrible profit year. Um, inflation is overwhelmingly uh, crushing. You know, uh, we all know the the fun stories about eggs right now. And guess what? We use nothing but eggs. And and the cost of labor. And the cost of labor and the scarcity of labor. Insurance, so it's, it is insurance. it is and it's everything is more expensive. Right. So so it's very hard. And then the the extra layer of our complications here in Jackson is this ongoing struggle with the water system but i'm very very hopeful and very thankful for what has happened and uh ted hennepin the the third party administrator is a stand-up guy he's really smart he knows this stuff um i know um, I, I think you know it's a little bit of a stub in the toe coming out with the new idea for the billing based on appraised value yeah. i you know my therapist tells me i need to stay in my hula hoop <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not responsible for other people's uh, uh, outcomes. I have shared my thoughts about that. I, I'm hoping that we can show great results with the water system that we all can believe in, and then how how we pay for it, we'll figure it out. But mm-hmm. certainly, 
We are one of those places that don't get bills, and I've tried everything I can when we don't get a bill for months and months to to, to interface with the city, and and the capacity is just limited. They, there's just yeah. they, there's nothing they can do. It's just like it's stuck in the computer. We can't get it out. Mm-hmm. Like here's a crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's segue to olive oil. How much olive oil do you work with a in lot. your restaurants, a lot. Jeff? Talk a lot. about that. You so, bake with it again. There's there's a couple different types of olive oil, and and from when we talk about cost, one of the things about us is that I've been in this business for almost 30 years. And Dan and I have had to learn how to survive year to year in an environment that is oftentimes hostile. So we don't um, um, we, we can't use extra virgin olive oil in every dish we do. You know, that's that's prepon- uh, preposterous to think about the cost of that. So as Elaine has, you know, no doubt explained, there's extra virgin and virgin and, you know, um, uh, pomace and the like. We use uh, tri- pri- primarily a pomace, which will be a, you know, a second or third press product for most commercial use. For, for the, uh, and we also use a blend. We use a blend of olive oil and vegetable oil for production like oiling pans and for for um, less it, things that don't require the depth and breadth of olive oil that may be a baked product that still call for that you know it'd be the same thing as just making your own your own blend but we've we found an excellent product that we like so um, it's a balance mm-hmm. um, and um, and is, but but do people love olive oil oh heck yeah and it's a you know it's good for you it's a what is a monosaturated? Um, it's a short, short fat chain, so it digests very well. It's good for you. It's good on the skin. When I get roasted on Thursday at the Mississippi Press uh, Association, my mom said I should take some olive oil to be able to take care of the bruises I'm going to have. So, Elaine, uh, thank you for joining us. You, you're, we're always welcome here. You've been gone from Jackson in Mississippi for some 20 years, yes, living it's been a while. in Italy and working in Italy. Tell us a little bit. Uh, about the oils that you now uh, are producing and how they are available. And Joe and I have been fortunate enough to taste them. And I'm, Jeff, have you? They're delicious. They're really yes. delicious. Yes. So, first of all, thank you for having me here. I'm always happy to be in the studio with you guys. Um, so, I am making olive oils, and I have I decided to I make, I make extra virgin olive oils. And uh, we're actually going to do a tasting event at Bravo on the 27th of February. I'm very happy about that. So I'm introducing my new products um, right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Joe's writing the date down. 27 February. Has this been announced uh, to the public? When you go to the website, bravobuzz.com, don't worry about remembering that. You can just Google Bravo. Uh, The website post is up, and you can click through and uh, make a reservation. Okay. Sunday, Sunday the 27th. And we will be there. Again, I'm going to present for the first time, first time ever, um, my new olive oils. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, olive oils are not one-size-fits-all. So we are going to work with um, Jeff's staff at Bravo to create some food matches for the two different olive oils that I make. So we have one from Tuscany, which is nice and peppery. Joe's tasted that, yep. And then another one from Sicily, which is a lot kind of of fruity and rounder. And so we're going to choose... um, you know, we're going to choose recipes that go well with those foods. And um, Jeff's sommelier at Bravo is going to choose ones as well. So we're going to do lots of food matching. 
Right. And you are a certified olive oil taster. You want to explain that I to am. our listeners? I am. I, um, when I first got interested in olive oil uh, 20 years ago, I took a class that was offered by um, a laboratory in Tuscany that's responsible for analyzing all wines and olive oils that come out that are made in Tuscany, um, taught by professionals. Um, right there on site. So we learned to taste um, both for defects and for uh, pregi, as they call them, so um, kind of the good characteristics of olive oil. And it's really interesting, and it it really is. uh, Olive oils are a lot like wine, and they are an agricultural product. Like Jeff was saying, you know, know, all food comes from a farm, you know, somewhere. So if you think about, though, the kind of um, the real kind of subtle characteristics of of wines, you know, where they're produced, who's producing them, what grapes are being used. All of that um, translates over to olive oil as well. So when you taste olive oil, it's really like it's very similar to tasting wine. And the differences are amazing. And once you kind of get in there, um, you know, I'm hooked, obviously. I've been doing this for 20 years. But I think it's really fascinating. And it's fun to play around in the kitchen. So when you're cooking, um, it's really fun to have a variety in the kitchen so that you can um, mix and match uh, depending on what you're making. So <clears throat> when we when I knew that Elaine was going to be here, I knew Jeff was going to be here. I went to I got real ambitious in 2020 and decided to put all my recipes, you know, file them online somewhere. Well, I found out I'm just as disorganized uh, on the computer <laughs> as I am in real life. But I found a menu of an oil tasting at Bravo would be. It'd be almost it'd be 19 and a half years from the one coming up in February on, tw- on February 27th. I'm going to tell you, and if you haven't ever been to one, it's phenomenal. I, I remember it to this day, and it was about three ingredients. It was about olive oil, and you can really, really learn a lot. That's all I mean. That It's a fabulous It's Right, a fabulous so we'll talk group. a little bit also about kind of Tuscan cooking and like you said three ingredients the tuscan food is extremely simple they don't like a lot of extra stuff up in there so um they use you know they spend a lot of time choosing ingredients they always say that you, you spend more time shopping than you do in the kitchen so actually making making tuscan food is is quite kind of a quick process but the flavors are really good and it's mostly healthy food and as jeff pointed out olive oil is super healthy and olive oil is one of the only things that the better it tastes the better it is for you and it's just you know it's full of nutrients and antioxidants um, and it really exalts food. So the three-ingredient rule mm-hmm. um, that we kind of laugh at in Tuscan cooking, actually, um, you know, there's kind of a reason for that. And, um, you know, they're, they're sort of super good ingredients at the base of it or one thing. And then olive oil sort of works to really bring all the flavors together and kind of add kind of another layer to what would be really simple cooking. Great. Uh, Java reminds me that uh, the 26th is the Sunday, not the 27th. Thank you. So let's. I think also we may have been off on our call for um, Mardi Gras because it's going to be a week from tomorrow. Oh, really? Tomorrow's the 14th, 21st. Maybe you said 21st, but that'd, yeah. be, that'd be correct. Well, so we, it's a Monday. We're doing a Monday event, actually. We, oh, well, it's Monday, Monday the 27th. 27th. Did we move to Monday? We moved all? to Monday. So we are doing Monday. It You're is close, the 27th, right? which happens to be a Monday. Is that, well, aren't y'all glad that, that we've got you together right, here? <laughs> it's all on the website. It's just details. Statewide audience here. We don't have our details, but we got some darn good kids. King cake. That's right. We don't mess up on the king cake ingredients. Right. We may mess up on the date, but the king cake. We did not mess up on the date. The date is always, has always been the 27th. Make a note. That's because he's closed on Mondays. That's 
So he can have a special event. That's what he does his special events for. All right. Just didn't want our listeners I'm a quarter of a mile from his restaurant. Did I mess that up again, Jeff? I did, didn't I? We decided to go on a Sunday afternoon to Never mind, y'all. Sunday, February <laughs> 26th. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> February the 26th, Sunday, Elaine Trigiani, bravo. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad we got that straight. We know it's going to be in February. <laughs> we do know that. So, Elaine, be, beyond olive oil, you, you're also a certified wine taster, right? I am. And... and and, and Jeff, y'all do an awful lot of wine service we do. at Bravo. We do. So talk a little bit about wine service in Jackson, availability of wines, uh, sort of pairings. And, and I would be really interested in the tasting part. Do we have cert- We do have certified tasters in our country. They're called sommeliers. Yes. And there's various levels. Uh, it's a certification right. process that has a very sharp, like a pyramid. It, once, once you get past the first level to get to the third is a very, very sharp incline. It's like professional sports. There's very few. Yeah, I'm at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not any, even in the I'm, room. <laughs> me either. So Chuck, Chuck um, Nix is our, our sommelier manager at Bravo, and Chuck is extraordinary. And uh, Chuck has a, a brand called Bearded Wino. That's his personal panhandle oh, on really? Instagram. So if you want to follow the Bearded Wino, and that's W-I-N-E, a U E X A U A You know you right? I got to write it down. It's going to be on the twenty fifth. <laughs> so 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 Chuck will be working with Elaine, but Chuck does um, uh, wine tastings on Sundays and wine dinners on Mondays, and uh, it's a blessing to do it. And you asked a question, I'll pass it back to Elaine about availability. Malcolm, you remember you've been in this business a long, long time, and um, back in the day there was very little. Uh, selection of wine in the state and through the the efforts of the restaurant community particularly um, Nick Apostle who was the you know the thorn in the side for the, the ABC for the longest time um, there's a lot of pushing to to free up the um, availability of wine and I think that on uh, hand in hand with kind of the casinos and the liberalization of some things um, it is Wine, wine is widely accept, accessible of all types, and, it's, and, and the liquor reps do a very good job of getting our allocation. The biggest problem with wine is that especially great wines, it's only so much, mm-hmm. and it's a worldwide market. I was in Scotland this summer with Debbie, and we went to a couple um, um, scotch uh, distilleries, and one of the most fascinating things I was told is that 100% of their um, demand could be absorbed by Asia. They, they don't have to sell anywhere else. They, wow. they allocate so they can go worldwide, but they, they cannot make enough wow. scotch because it is the drink right now in Asia. It's, so it's got the same thing with, with, uh, with wine. There's a lot of wealth in the world, and people want to have good products. Hmm. Right. Again, it's agri- agricultural product, so obviously supplies are limited. And, yeah, you're happy to get what you can get. And the wine here in Jackson, I remember 20 years ago when I left, it was a different story. So it's fun. Um, to see that there's so much, um, so many more products available on the market and so much more variety. And again, I'm really looking forward to see what um, what Chuck has up his sleeve. And I haven't met Chuck yet, so I'm looking forward to meeting um, the we'll bearded wino. He, is he relatively new? On your Chuck day? was with uh, Table 100 for quite some time. Okay. And before that, he was in Memphis. Um, hmm. I believe he was at Interim, if I remember correctly. Um, but Chuck's Chuck's story is is very um, very interesting and. One of the things I respect most about Chuck, um, 
he is an African-American wine enthusiast. Uh, he is he is he is in the center. Of, I told you that triangle. Right. He's he's in the middle part right now, working upwards, and he has done an amazing job of on a Monday. He does a Monday meditation program, which we put on Facebook and Instagram uh, live. He interviews winemakers from around the nation, and um, nine times out of ten, it's going to be an African American wine broker, winemaker, wine steward. There's there's a there's a wonderful fraternity that he is. He is part of building, which is to create um, visibility for uh, the black community within the wine community. It's, it's just fabulous. I'm wow. so thankful to have him in our business. He's just amazing. Right. Jeff, do we have any sommeliers at the top in Jackson? I don't think so. Okay. I don't. Could I don't. Be I your don't, role, Joe. I don't believe. <laughs> I don't believe so. And I don't. And, and if and if I'm wrong, please somebody please call and tell us. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There you go. You remember, Malcolm? I had a birthday today, so I really don't have enough time. Right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Elaine, I'd like to come back to you on olive oil. Can you talk to us a little bit about proper care, shelf life, how to how to store and how to keep your olive oil happy so sure. that it will reward you. <laughs> <laughs> reward you into the future olive oil is um super healthy and has you know great flavors but you have to sort of maintain that and um what you need to protect olive oil from is um, air heat and light which are relatively easy to do so we usually um, you see a lot of olive oils that are bottled in dark bottles that's to keep out uv rays literally and you want to store your olive oil in a place that's um, kind of cool, like where you keep your red wine is always a good place to keep your olive oil. And then oxygen's kind of a hard one. Um, not hard, but once you open a bottle, you should just use it because as the level of olive oil goes down in the bottle, there's just more and more oxygen exposure. So olive oil obviously is a fat. It's a good fat, but it's a fat. And it'll go rancid like y'all have all probably tasted a rancid pecan mm-hmm. or a rancid mm-hmm. peanut yes. butter or something yes. like that. So you don't want to hold on to it too long because... Um, with oxygen, with, with oxygen exposure, that will happen. However, if you don't open the bottle and you store it in a cool place, cool, dark place, you can keep it literally for years. And there's olive oils are usually released on um, kind of in, as, in the, as the newest vintage, the newest harvest is usually what you find on the market. But olive oils actually do um, live for years. And again, if they're stored properly, will maintain their flavor and health benefits for quite a while. And would you uh, remind our listeners, Elaine, about your culinary trips and, and your oil and how to find them and how to get them imported? I would love to. Thank you, Malcolm. Absolutely. I um, do, as we mentioned before, um, culinary travel programs, and you can find information about that on my website, which is com. And there's a link there for olive oil. There's also an olive oil website. So the new company is called Olio della Donna. And there's information there about uh, olive oils and um, where we make them and how they're made. And you can also find out about how to make orders. And you can do that directly from me. And we also have some retailers here in the U.S. So um, that, that information is all on the website. So we're trying to, trying to get the word out. Thank mm-hmm. you, Malcolm White. Well, um, aside from your uh, culinary uh, Adventures. You also incorporate art because you're an art historian and you've studied art your whole life. And so you're not just going somewhere to eat, to meet the farmer, to meet the cheese producer, but you're also taking them to to see amazing Italian art yes. throughout. Yes. So that sort of that was the focus in my previous life, um, but that's not obviously something that goes away. So. Um, the trips that we organize concentrate on 
um, food and art both, which are kind of good ways to look at the culture and experience the culture of Italy. So um, we definitely concentrate on monuments and art and particularly works of art that are still in the locations for which they were made. So don't think about going into a museum with, you know, a bunch of people and a guard kind of shuffling you along, but think about going to, you know, a small church in a small town in the middle of nowhere, Tuscany, and, you know, finding a work of art by, you know, a major Renaissance painter who happens to be down the street from a great butcher, for example. Mm. So we kind of, that's how I work to put um, experiences together. It's things that are really off the beaten path and food producers who I have relationships with. So, um, you know, and they usually work um, in traditional methods. And so you can have talked to these people. You talk to the people who really craft the food and learn about the traditional methods that they use, um, you know, why they do that, the history of their particular products. And then we combine that with all of the art stops. Mary Pryor and I, before she went to big groups, Mary Pryor and I had two tours uh, that Elaine put together. And what we told her was, we want to see your butcher, your baker, and your candlestick maker. And we saw every one of them. (laughs) (laughs) That was just a good way to to, to tell them what we wanted to do. Debbie and I have had the chance to do it as well. And uh, Elaine's uh, hospitality and competence is second to none. I very quickly would, Malcolm mentioned about COVID and pivoting. So I think Elaine did what I think is one of the most impressive pivots of all. Amen. Uh, She started a, um, a, a, uh, you were doing it almost weekly at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I was doing it twice a month. Twice mm-hmm. a month, a biweekly um, cooking class and art um, engagement and cultural engagement called um, You Can't Come to Italy, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just extraordinary. So, yeah, thanks, Jeff. I, yeah, you know, we were all sort of in shock right there in the beginning of the pandemic, and we were in total lockdown in Italy. I think we were the first ones to go into complete lockdown. We, we literally were not allowed to walk out the front door. Um, so when, you know, we kind of got to the point where we could sort of think, okay, what am I going to do now? Um, I went on to these online classes and yeah, art history lecture, cooking class, all linked to a place. So it's like taking a little trip to Italy. It was great. And, you know, I would pick a location, talk about a work of art or an artist, and then make a recipe traditional to that place. And I'm still doing them. We're just not on a regular schedule. Right. So, so. so. They're, they're wonderful. She just sign up one. at ElaineTrigiani.com. That's right. She just did one on olive oils on the 5th, so I look forward to more to come. And I was texted by my wife that I left off the white sauce in the stro- uh, oh, no. sausage <laughs> stroganoff. And I also baked uh, sugar cookies for my neighbor's 5-year-old birthday party that will be tomorrow, but they ate them. And we helped her with a cake rescue, so we wow. had to fix the cake. Thank you, Mary Pryor. <laughs> happy yeah. birthday, Joe. Happy, happy, birthday. happy birthday. birthday. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone, and happy Mardi Gras. That's right. Happy bon cheesecake. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from folks like yourself, and we thank you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Joe Sherman, for Katie Leach and Jeff Good and Elaine Trigiani. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Malcolm White. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Mm-hmm.